Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome. My name is Ben Smith. I'm joined by my the Leonard to my Sheldon, uh, Mr. Curtis Wister. How are you doing today, Curtis? I'm well, Ben. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. So on today's show, we're, we're really excited to have our partner and colleague, Abby Duty. Hey there. Uh, Abby, of course, uh, supports us on, on all, all of our clients. We all work together and she runs a, a lot of our financial planning for our main clients. And one of the things that we've just been noticing as a theme for a lot of our clients out there and people we talk to is this idea of real estate, is that real estate is something that I think people understand as a way to source and fund their their retirement, right? Is that they, yeah. they think about this as something that they can buy, acquire, rent out, get income from. And it's another way to kind of thinking about income in retirement to then fund their own success. In this podcast, we try to stay away from the investment stuff, right? It's like, let's get into investment theory and all that. So we don't want to get into that today, but we do want to really get into this idea of why would you do it? What would it mean to to do it well? Like what, what are some lessons to be learned from, from investing in it? But also as I get to retirement and then into retirement, I'm going to have challenges, right? I'm going to have challenges right. to how do I think about that and how do I when when should I be stop investing in real estate or when should I be maybe selling my real estate assets? So that's kind of the the premise for today uh, for Abby. But that that's that's kind of what I want to get out of today. Yeah, that, that sounds great. You know, as you mentioned, we see it a lot, uh, or we see a lot of interest in real estate within our clients. So I think this will be a really good conversation. Yeah. So let's let's welcome in Abby. Uh, Abby, appreciate you coming on today. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. What we obviously with our arc of our podcast, and again, the name of the podcast is Retirement Success in Maine. So the idea being, uh, we'd like to just kind of introduce you here a little bit, just get into your background, kind of obviously what led you to your point today of, of working with us as an investment consultant at Guides Point Advisors. Then we'll, we'll dig into the idea of your background to these properties. So love to just kind of, so just tell us about yourself in terms of growing up and kind of that history just to get started. Sure. Um, so I grew up in Portland and went to Deering High School and then um, left Maine. Swore I would never live in Maine when I graduated from high school. Um, <laughs> like I'm, most do. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So I moved down to Boston, went to Gordon College and I got a business degree there Worked in Boston for a couple of years, ended up hating it and couldn't wait to get back to Maine. <laughs> what did you hate about Boston, right? Because obviously yeah. when you're leaving Maine, you're like, well, Maine's rural and right. nothing to do. And right. you're like, that's so romantic that I can go to Boston. There's so much to do. What, you get there, then you don't like it. What, why yeah. didn't you like it? So I hated the amount of people <laughs> and um, the commute. I was living on the North Shore and then commuting into Boston on a daily basis. So um, it was trains and subways and walking and it was just too much for me. It was a hassle to get anywhere. And even though I wasn't that far from home, you don't really have the outdoorsy stuff in Boston. And I was just ready to come back to Maine. So obviously you were you graduated Gordon. Yes. Right. So you're north of Boston at that point, but then you go work in Boston. What were you doing for work in Boston? So I graduated in 2009, which many of you will remember was the peak of the financial crisis. So with a business degree, not exactly the most valuable degree to be graduating with at that time. So I took whatever job I could. I was working at TD Bank in Boston. And it was great. I got, you know, some experience in the financial service industry. Um, It gave me exposure to stuff I had never really worked with before. And um, it was a great first job. So I was working at TD Bank. And then um, a position came available up in Maine um, for kind of a promotion to do something a little bit more sophisticated. Um, I would get my insurance license and be able to sell annuities in Maine. Um, And so I had the opportunity to interview for that job and ended up getting it. So it was both a promotion and moving back to Maine. So it was kind of a win-win for me, um, which was great. So it was career that kind of brought you back. Yeah. What did you, um, obviously, you're kind of recovering from the 
the financial crisis at that mm-hmm. point, kind of getting back on on the scene in Maine. What was it that you found that made you want to just stay here? Right? Is uh, obviously you can get into a career and that can lead you lots of different places. But why was uh, why was this the geographic center for you? So my family was here, and I was really excited to be back closer to my family. Also, the cost of living in Maine was significantly cheaper at that time than it was on the North Shore. So I could get a better apartment. Um, my commute was lower, um, shorter time. And it, my money just went further in Maine than it did in Boston, yeah. um, especially at that time. And I was still close enough. My best friends still lived just on the north side of Boston, still only an hour and a half from them. So whenever I wanted to go down, it's easy to get to the North Shore. Um, so it kind of fit all of the things I was looking for. Plus, I guess I'm a Maine girl at heart. I was happy to be back home. <laughs> yeah. So you're at at this next place. Mm-hmm. And what led you then ultimately to get to Guidance Point? Yeah. So I was working at TD Bank for a few years. And the banking industry wasn't quite where I wanted to go. I was already starting to transition into the investment side of the banking world, um, but didn't see a lot of potential there. So I started looking for a different job. I actually ended up at Fidelity Investments mm-hmm. in Portland. Um, so that was really great experience. I got my licenses there. I got to, you know, talk to all kinds of different investors. Um, I was the first person that anybody who walked into the investor center would talk to. Um, I got to work with 401ks through Fidelity. Overall, just a really great experience. Um, After a couple years at Fidelity, it wound up being that to move up in Fidelity, since there's only the one branch in Maine, I was either going to have to move to New Hampshire or Boston, which really wasn't something that I was interested in doing. I had already tried that, not my thing. So then I ended up talking to my dad, who happens (laughs) to have started Guidance Point. And so there was a position available, like a starting level service admin person. um, And it just seemed to be the right time for Guidance Point to add somebody else and for me to move, you know, from the corporate world of Fidelity over to a smaller, more personalized um, small business where I could, you know, have a little bit more control over my schedule, control over what I do on a day-to-day basis. Um, and my potential was much more unlimited than it was at Fidelity. Yeah. And that, that, I think that's obviously where we met, right? Yep, is exactly. At that point where, you know, we, we kind of have, which is kind of nice with uh, we have a couple of guidance point businesses here mm-hmm. that, that are going on, but you know, with kind of a family business, you got to make sure you're you're migrating differences, right? Is you want to yes. make sure there's some clear and defined reporting lines. And I, I remember that that w- first conversation of okay, well, you know, your your father's involved in this business, and you know, here here where he he and I working together as partners on this, but also he's you know your father, you're his daughter. How do we make this whole thing work? Because we don't want it to be awkward. We want it to make <laughs> sure that we're having really open and honest conversations. So um, I remember that kind of that yes, first day. Yeah. It's just going like, okay, what? <laughs> how does this whole thing go? Uh, but yeah, it's been a really fun trip. It mm-hmm. was, uh, I, I think you and I together, which 2013? 13. 13. No, it's crazy. Six years. So yeah, we, we've kind of both learned a lot, right? Mm-hmm. It's both grown. And, and as we've, we've added clients over time, it's, it's been a fun little trip and, yep. and, and Curtis has joined us here in 2019. So we got a nice little uh, unit and with, with AJ in Portland and then Larry uh, Pelletier, who's also, he, uh, he's in North Carolina sometimes and, uh, and then in Portland as well out of our office there. So we got a nice little main team, which is kind of fun going on. Yep. But yeah, so it's, it's been a really kind of nice, cohesive team that we, we really do enjoy working yeah. with each other and, and going with that. So since 2013, right, with Guidance Point. So what I, I guess my question is, well, why has this been the thing for you? Right. So you got into banking. Yep. Saw the fidelity side, liked the investment stuff yep. a little bit, and then you you kind of got into Guidance Point helping to service and grown in your role here. Yep. What have you really enjoyed? What have you kind of found out about yourself and kind of to where you are today to where you want to be? Yeah. My role, as you mentioned at Guidance Point, has transitioned quite a lot from mm. when I first started. Um, it's taken on several different iterations. Um, so I work both on the 401k side, mainly doing participant education. I also have some 401ks that I work with directly. Um, and then I, like Ben said, I lead up the financial planning really on the individual side. Um, so I found that I really enjoy working with people more than I would have thought. Um, <laughs> I 
I really enjoy talking to them. I enjoy helping them figure out their goals for retirement or wealth building or whatever the case may be um, and helping them to achieve it. So figure out a strategy and work together as a team to help them be successful. And the 401k education piece, I really wasn't sure if I would like that. And I really enjoy it. So for a lot of people, their 401k is their biggest asset. And oftentimes they may not have access to an advisor or a licensed professional um, to talk to them about it. And so I think it's a great service that these companies that we work with provide um, to have us be able to go out and talk to their employees. And so I think being able to help them help 401k participants in that aspect has been really enjoyable for me. Nice. Yeah. In your career arc, obviously there's been a lot of changes here. Yeah. (laughs) Informative years, which is great. Yeah. But kind of going forward for you, where where do you kind of see things going for you in terms of the professional world? Yeah. So I think just continuing to build the individual side of the business, um, continuing to help people grow on that side. And I really like the trajectory that I'm on, honestly. So I enjoy everything that I'm doing now. And if I did exactly what I'm doing now, that would be that would be great with me. Yeah. So let's get into the personal end for you. Right. Yeah. Is So you got married last year. Mm-hmm. Right. And so your husband, Casey, obviously you have a personal interest in real estate, which is why yes. I wanted to have you on and talk yeah. about that a little bit here. So can you describe in terms of how did that interest start mm-hmm. in terms of Hey, here's here's something as an idea that we want to explore for real estate. How did you identify that kind of first opportunity and then getting over the hurdle to say, yes, let's do that? Yeah. So I will admit it was all Casey's idea. Um, So so Casey uh, also works in investments, which is funny. Sure. So he worked for TD Ameritrade um, in Providence in the, you know, 2009 to 2012 timeframe. And a lot of his clients who were very wealthy had invested in multifamily buildings. So in Providence or, you know, Worcester, Massachusetts, kind of those areas where you can buy a multifamily for relatively low cost yet still get rents at a really good rate to help pay off the building um, and create an income stream for yourself. So Casey had it in his mind that that was something that he wanted to do. So when he got relocated to Portland in 2012, he really wanted to buy a multifamily. And so he looked around the city to make sure the location was good and kind of the type of building that he was looking for. But that's really where it all started was he talked to his clients. And that was one of the ways that they found that they were most successful was through real estate. And he has always been kind of a do-it-yourselfer, hands-on type of guy. So kind of fit fit naturally for him. Gotcha. So in regards to doing that sort of work then, right? Because mm-hmm. it it is work, right? It, it is, is work. This yes. isn't a, it's a second job. Yeah. You don't really <laughs> just buy something and go, well, rent it out and it's just going to happen. It doesn't work that way. No, it does not. But would you say that's that's essentially the, you know, if you're doing a 10,000 foot overview of what's the formula to doing it well, it's Mm -hmm. it's, it's that, right? I need to be thinking about the level of rent I'm receiving from the property to the to the price that I have to be paying, mm-hmm. right? Yep, exactly. And you want to make sure that those numbers work and you have some extra cushion, right? So if you're going to live in it, you want to ideally make sure that, you know, two of the units, if it's a three unit, ideally two of them are paying for the mortgage. So you're living there rent free. If not, then maybe you just, you know, put in a little extra to make the mortgage work. But if those basic numbers don't work, if the building's three rents or two rents or however many units there are don't cover the mortgage, then it doesn't make Make sense to do. Right. And then the third piece I would say that's really, really important is the location of the building. So you don't want to be in a location that people don't want to rent in, right? Because you're going to have problem tenants, you're going to have problem finding people, you're going to have keeping tenants. Um, so making sure your location is good and will hopefully be good for the foreseeable future is really important. Let's get to tenants in a second. Yeah, here. yeah. But in regards to that price to rent formula, mm-hmm. and so when you're scouring it, the more handy you are. Yes the more likely you're, you are to get a lower price on the property. Yes. And as you kind of said, and I just know your story here yeah. a little bit, but <laughs> in regards to you buy that property, yep. and one of the things I, that maybe you can just tell us a little bit about was, all right, so you started living in the property mm-hmm. 
while also working on it. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So living in it and working on it is quite an adventure. So it's not for everybody, but sweat equity. So the, the less you can pay for the building, if you are able and willing to put that work in, you can make an even bigger return. Mm-hmm. Um, so living in it and doing stuff while you're living there definitely is an advantage because if the other two rents are paying for the mortgage, then you can take all of that money that you would be paying towards the mortgage and put it towards redoing the property. So so it's certainly not for everybody and some you know some people are not interested in that it's definitely a lifestyle choice but if you have the ability to do that then you can hopefully pay less than a building that's already redone. You can kind of put your own stamp on it and then hopefully get more rents in the future. And so we've also been fortunate that we've been able to, when we have tenant turnover, get in there for a month. If we can, you know, swing the mortgage for a month without needing to have it rented, that allows us the ability to get in there to redo the apartment before the next tenant comes in. So we get more rent, you know, on Mm -hmm. the next incoming tenant. So, yeah. So in regards to then finding that tenant, right? Yes. So obviously you probably have learned some lessons to the bad side, right? Yes. Can you maybe describe a story or two about, well, how it hasn't worked out well? Because I think you want to have a rounded conversation here about, well, you know, it it's not all just great that you always just find the great tenant and they always, they just never have any issues on the property and they're always paying at, at, at the frequency you're asking them to pay and you don't have any legal issues as well. Right. So maybe what, like what the bad has been for you or mm-hmm. have you learned anything on the bad side to then that that's, that's helped you apply it to finding maybe better tenants that are better suited to you guys. So our building is in Portland, which has had exponential growth since we bought it. <laughs> right. Um, and so I will say that we have been very, very fortunate with our tenants. And I think it also helps that the owners like us have been living there while renting it out, right? Because as a tenant, okay, my owners or the landlords are on the first floor. Like you're not going to act up as much as if maybe the whole building is rented. So I will preface it with that. But really, we've been very fortunate. We haven't had to kick anybody out. Generally, our tenants have paid on time. Um, But overall, we do a pretty big screening process for our tenants. So we have them fill out an application. We have them give us the authority to do a background check if we see fit. Um, We put down, they put down references, we call them. So job references, their past landlords. And honestly, being in Portland, we do have an advantage. We have had an enormous amount of applicants each time we have an apartment for rent. Mm. So having a bigger pool of people to choose from allows you to be more choosy, right? So it goes back to the location thing. We're never feeling like we're in a rush to find a tenant. We never feel like we have to find a tenant. It's really it's a good feeling that you have the ability to pick and choose, which just goes back to why you want to make sure that you're in a good location, right? Because if you're in a location and you only get two or three applicants and you're feeling pressure to rent to somebody that you may not want to or feel totally comfortable with, that's not a good situation right. to be in. Sure. The last thing that we always think of is um, since we do live there, do we want to see these people every day, right? <laughs> so, I mean, they're basically housemates to us. Mm-hmm. And so we want to make sure that they jive well with us and we get the sense that they'll take care of the building. We try and be really flexible with them um, and meet whatever you know requests that they have. So we want it to be more of a partnership. We want them to want to live there. Rather than feeling like, oh, I have to, I'm stuck here for the next year or so. So the more that we can work with people, the better. Nice. Yeah. So I know we're talking about tenants right now, but I want to circle back on location. Yeah. Because you brought up location a couple of times. Yeah. So I'm assuming going into it, obviously, you know, at one level, it's kind of the city or town itself. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm sure within that, you also try to find, you know, the best spots within Portland, for example. Yeah. So kind of what goes into that? That's a good question. So Portland, um, as I've mentioned, has had a big revitalization within the past 10 years. Um, so where our building is, is, you know, in a very family friendly neighborhood, we're nearby schools. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an area that has always been nice, always desirable. We have off street parking, which is very desirable in Portland, especially for snow bands, right? Where some of the downtown peninsula mm-hmm. locations do not have off street parking. Mm-hmm. Um, so Stuff like that that tenants, you know, might be interested in. Those are big things. We also have a huge backyard. So we have a fire pit that the tenants can use. Mm. They have outdoor space. 
Um, we're within walking distance to, you know, some walking trails. So overall, it's a great location. Mm. And you do pay a premium for that. But in exchange for that, hopefully you can get, you know, higher rents. Buying in a place that is up and coming. So there are neighborhoods in Portland that are not as great. That can be, you know, a bit more challenging. You're trying to build on something that's not quite there yet. Mm. And being from Portland, I kind of knew the neighborhoods pretty well. So I felt comfortable with it. So I would say if you are looking to do a multifamily, really knowing the city and the neighborhoods that you are buying in, it's really important. But also I think kind of maybe merging the last two answers you had there. Right. So if you have one thing is, all right, here's the the type of tenant that I'm looking for. Yep. Right. Because you're saying I'm describing a type of tenant that is kind of like us. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's who we want to be renting to. And this is who we jive well with. And we're going to have a good relationship. If it's, you know, I'm thinking about, again, on the retirement side, Mm -hmm. if it's, well, hey, I want to be renting to a certain clientele, they're in retirement and they're going to have, we've talked in previous episodes about aging and properties. Mm So if you're going to have that uh, certain population, you're going to have to address your property to those needs of that population and what they're looking to to do, right? Because yep. it could be that, you know, what, what everything you just described is something like, well, in their 20s and 30s and 40s, exactly. that's great because I'm near the schools and, and I got my kids here and right. we got a play area for us and we can entertain all that. But from a retirement perspective, if it's a multi-unit, is it? And just describe your multi-unit. Is it is it horizontally done? Is it vertically? How's it? Yes. So it's three structured? units stacked on top of each other. Okay. Yeah. So in that case, that might be difficult for somebody that wants yes. to go to the third floor and they got groceries and laundry and right. whatever they got to be bringing up. Right. So those are the things you got to be considering, right, as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's a lot of the duplex, so side-by-side buildings, so two units, but the doors are right next to each other. So yeah, they're not on top of each other. Mm -hmm. So that might be more appropriate for somebody who is getting older and doesn't want to deal with stairs or you have, you know, the first floor unit, you know, might be more appropriate for somebody who's getting older. But certainly, I mean, most of our tenants who are applying are in there early 20s to mid 30s. Um, And I think that also kind of goes with the phase of life life that they're in, right? So they're just getting out of college, maybe kind of moving to Portland, figuring out their career trajectory, aren't ready to jump into a house. One trend we are seeing is that older people are now renting for the same reasons, right? So maybe they've just retired and they're trying out a new location. They're trying out Portland for the first time. Maybe they're going to rent. Interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. And so to give Portland kind of a test run before they buy something, because prices in Portland right now are quite expensive. So so <laughs> let's flip that on its head, right? Yeah. So, you know, if, if you can continue on that theme of I, I like renting to people that are kind of like us or yeah. that I can relate to or I have in common with. So, you know, right now in your life stage, you know, here's where you are and you're, you're finding that population. But if you continue to go and you're in your, you know, your 50s, your 60s, your 70s, your 80s. So would that be a theme that you would see continue with your properties, right? So I'm now in my 60s and I don't want to be renting to the 22 year olds, right? right? Because I'm probably have less tolerance for what they're into and what they're liking. And I'm probably not relating to them as much, which is going to cause a lot of tenant landlord relationships, right? Issues. So is that something that you guys have, and I'm putting in a spot, I haven't asked That's you fine. this before at a time, but is this something you guys have thought about of, oh, you know, how is, how are you going to be migrating that population with you um, instead of, uh, again, could not trying to create problems down the road? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think our ultimate goal is to not live in the multifamily. So we ideally mm-hmm. would like to rent out all three units and then move, you know, to another project. Sure. But yes, we always want to make sure the house kind of jives as a unit because you're exactly right. If you have a 60-year-old living on the first floor and then a 21-year-old on the floor above them, it's not going to work. So if we're in the theme of renting to, you know, young professionals, I think we would stick with that even if we were in our 60s. The biggest thing is if they have the income. To pay for the unit, that's what we're most concerned about. Right. But you know what? If the time comes and the building shifts to be everybody's 60 years old, that's fine too. We've also talked about Airbnb it, which would be a whole nother. We could talk about that in a second. Yeah. 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 But that but that's an interesting switch, right? Because if you're saying, Hey, I I now want to start migrating away from young professionals into into folks that are, you know, they're they're in that first stage of retirement and they're trying out different cities. Mm 
and we're creating that culture in our building. Yeah. Well, it's it's not like it's everyone's rents and leases are all up at the same time. No. Right. So that's, that's a probably a tough transition moment of yes. I got, I know I'm going to have to go through something at this point because two people are going to be here for the next nine months right. while this new type of tenant we're trying to bring in right. and we need to we need to make sure that whole thing works. Yeah. Right. So that that would that would be a tough thing to be transitioning through through that population group. Right. Yes, it would be. Yeah. yeah. And I think we're less picky about, you know, particularly the age or whatever of the tenant. The biggest thing is whether they can pay on time and really afford it comfortably. And so, but yeah, there is certainly a culture to that, especially with a three unit. I mean, Mm. that's, you know, six people living together and you do see each other on a regular basis. So yeah, definitely something to Okay. To think about. <laughs> so I like so we've explored the the multi unit and that was the the first thing for yeah. you, right? And before you and Casey were married, one of the things that you guys explored and yeah. just in terms of your lifestyle, one of the things that Casey's from Caribou. Yep. You're you're from Portland, yeah. but you you guys found a love together of the outdoors, right? As yes. you kind of found this like they love you love being outdoors, you love doing things. So talk about how that. Like you explored that together, you found a, a co-passion for, for enjoying certain activities to then going to the next property. Yeah. Casey's big thing before we got married is he wanted each of us to buy a property using our separate first-time home buyers. So you only have to put 3.5% down. There are some conditions um, to buy your first home. Um, once you are married, if one of you has an FHA mortgage, that negates the other ones. So we really wanted to make sure we had two properties before we got married to take advantage of of that, the that program, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yes, we love the outdoors. We loved ATVing. We were traveling every weekend, really, to northern Maine, western Maine, all over the state, ATVing to get outside. Portland is great, and there's a lot to do there, but that's not really where our passion is. It's really outside of the city. So Casey looks at real estate every day, and so <laughs> he had found this property in Island Falls on a lake. And so... And just time out for a second for <laughs> maybe that people are listening that don't know where Island Falls yeah, is, okay. right? So describe, and essentially we're talking about Portland, which I think everyone knows where yeah. Portland is, but describe in relation to where... <laughs> Portland is to where Island Falls is if people don't know where Island Falls is. Okay, so Portland is in southern Maine, right? Right. About an hour from the border with New Hampshire. Bangor is two hours north of Portland. So that's kind of, you know, the last big city in Maine. Island Falls is another hour and a half north of Bangor. So total three and a half hours north of Portland up 95, right? So Casey's from Caribou, which is five hours north of Portland. So (laughs) Island Falls is kind of a midpoint. But Um, but almost, so if you're going to I-95, which which ends at Holton, right? Yes. So Holton's the the last stop at I-95. So you're pretty close to where I-95 is ending and Holton, right? Is that, that's, that's the relation? Yeah. Yeah. We're about 30 minutes south of Holton. So, So, which again, it's your, it's your playground, right? It's where you like to explore and ATV and stuff. Yes. So sorry to. No, no, there, but no, continue on uh, path. Yeah, no, ATVing was... <laughs> to to the next property. Yeah, so we were ATVing actually for the weekend, and Casey found this property, and I was like, "Oh, let's just go check it out, see what it looks like." So we went, and it was this beautiful property. They had just dropped the price on it. It's on a lake, and we were like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe this hasn't been purchased yet." So it had been on the market for three years. Wow. So we went for it and we figured, you know, this was more of a long-term play, right? So the the multifamily in Portland is definitely an income-generating property. And we always knew we didn't want to live there full-time. The Island Falls property is more of a long-term, okay, this will be ours, you know, for our lifetime. We can work on it as we, as we have the time and ability to do so. But it's really kind of for our retirement. So we, or, you know, any spare time that we have, we want to spend up there. And since the Portland property is always under construction, including our unit, right. the the Island Falls property kind of gives us a sense of home. So it's a single family place. That's really where, you know, we feel most comfortable. We can get away from, you know, the crazy world of Portland and work and stuff like that and just kind of disconnect. So a totally, totally different type of property and not even one that we were thinking about, but we happened upon it and it just felt right. And so, yeah. <laughs> so in, in regards to, again, this kind of also being a, a potential yeah. theme for you for, for property that, you know, I think a very traditional way of thinking about investment properties and rental properties is, well, you got to go find a, a tenant. Yep. 
right? And then then lock in a, a duration of a lease and get monthly rent from that. And, and that, that's just the model. Right. But just like what has happened with Uber to taxis, right? Yep. So technology has come in and then changed some of uh, disruption of that market. Yep. So can you talk about, uh, obviously, you, you mentioned Airbnb as a thing. Yeah. So I've never rented an Airbnb. I'll you haven't? Right now, so I'm pretty. <laughs> oh, yeah, my gosh. I've not done it. So can you describe maybe for those that haven't done it out there, maybe maybe just it's just me. But <laughs> could you just talk about well, the concept of it, maybe from your side where you have a property and you're listing it on Airbnb, how people find it, how people interact with yeah. it, how do you get paid? And as a different kind of revenue model for you mm-hmm. um, in terms of thinking about the property I have. And here's just another channel. So just love to explore that. Yeah. And, and maybe how you're thinking about that for whether it be your Portland property eventually or maybe for this Island Falls property. Yeah. Um, so Airbnb is an app and website that people put their homes or apartments online for rent. So instead of a hotel room, you can basically rent somebody's, you know, house. Like short, short term. Short term rentals. Right. Yeah. So a weekend away or something like that. But as short as nightly? Yes. Yeah. Depend. It depends on the Airbnb rental. Um, okay. Some are nightly. Some require two night minimum. It just depends. Um, and Casey and I have used Airbnb a lot. We went to Texas last year and only stayed in Airbnbs. So it's a very different travel experience, I will say, than a hotel. Things may not always be as here on Airbnb. So I would just say take the pictures with a grain of salt. Um, just like most things on the internet, exactly. don't believe everything you see, right? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. read the reviews well. Yeah. But Portland, as we I've talked about a little bit, is it's exploded in you know the tourism and how many people are visiting and living and moving to Portland. And so this whole Airbnb thing has come about in the past few years where we know several landlords that are renting out their units um, for two or $300 a night. And we're not even in downtown Portland. And so when you do the numbers, right, does it make sense to have a monthly tenant where you get monthly rent? Or does it make sense to do like a two night minimum? And in the summer, you might even get more than $300 a night. Because it, and to jump in, right? Yeah. So you're it's one thing to say, and I'm just using figurative numbers here. Yeah. Say, say I'm getting fifteen hundred a month for rent, yeah, and I can get two hundred a night, right? right? So, you know, doing some rough math. If you rent it every night, which most people wouldn't, right. but you know, say you rented ten nights, yeah. for two hundred bucks a night. So now I got more money right. out of this property. But the other part is you've got to be thinking about netting it, right? So exactly. if, if it's like, well, now I got to spend a lot more time on property, right? Cleaning and rotating in between uh, right. stays. Right. I'm running a hotel. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mentality versus I'm actually. So it, it is a different business. It's right? very different. Yeah. And I know cities around Portland have talked about regulating the number of Airbnbs that are available within the city. Right. Because it can hurt hotels in the area or, you know, people don't neighbors don't necessarily want, you know, turnover every night in mm-hmm. their neighborhood. Um, so there are drawbacks and certainly the cleaning and turning over of the unit every whenever people leave is a big, big thing to consider. And on top of that, too, is, you know, I think if you're renting out, people are generally bringing their stuff into your unit. Exactly. Right? So they have their own furniture. They have their own bed. Right. Exactly. Right? They have their own furnishings. Yeah. But if you are then saying, well, I'm going to then rotate into Airbnb, exactly. then you have to make it comfortable, mm-hmm. livable, um, appealing to that sort of price point so that people do it again. And there's good reviews and all that, right, as well? Yeah, exactly. And so there's more wear and tear on your stuff. And it becomes less of feeling like your place, more mm. of, you know, like a place that you're renting. And so it's totally different. We haven't done the Airbnb thing yet. The Island Falls property is another one that would be ideal for Airbnb or any of those sites. Um, so the Island Falls is a single family home, but it's on the lake. So it's yeah. on ATV and snowmobile trails. So you could rent it. It is year round as well. Um, and that I think we would do weekly rentals rather than nightly rentals. Which probably from a lake experience. I was going to say that's probably more common. Yeah, it is. Yeah, It's more of a destination versus I'm staying here to do something else. Exactly. Right. Which you're probably going to have different experiences from the very different. But I I guess where I'm I'm going with that is so it's an it's an interesting play of, hey, I could be living here. And then I could say, hey, in peak seasons, or, you know, I'm busy in the summer, I like where we go to travel, we go to do stuff. And I have a way to to have this be a, an income property, maybe even not just 12 months of the time, right. 
maybe it's one month or two months right. or, or you can turn it on or off, I take it as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we've talked about, you know, if we're in Island Falls for a month, we could be renting out the Portland unit in the summer um, mm. for, you know, nightly rentals or something like that. And certainly you can make extra money on top of it. And yeah, it, I'm not sure it would be full time for either property, but there's there's stuff to consider. Like I said, Island Falls is kind of our home. Yeah. So having people in there on a weekly basis, right, it kind of feels like other people are using your stuff, sure. which is an yeah. interesting thing. My parents rented out their camp for weekly rentals when I was in high school and college and they ended up stopping because they it was just it's a ton of work to do it especially if you are cleaning it yourself um you take out you know all of your pictures all of your personal stuff is going to be locked away and there's a pride thing too right you don't want to you don't you know you do want it to be a certain level of quality because you want people to have an experience and you don't want to be embarrassed by an experience right they used your thing and they're like yeah it was okay right wasn't for me or that was not as clean as it should have been or right those are all anxious things that i think we all deal with about even guests coming over for dinner right all of a sudden everyone does the mad rush to clean your house because you don't want that to be anything out of place i gotta have it look a certain way exactly yeah so we haven't jumped into the airbnb thing yet but we'll see it's an option right so having rental units and different types of property just gives you more options for income options for what you want to do with it down the road so so uh, and I'll kind of point out something here, which um, maybe is and you have an atypical experience that I think if people are trying to get into and yes. as they're getting into it now or in in retirement, especially you fast forward, it's probably tough for the average person to be saying, hey, I'm in Portland and then my next property is in Island Falls three and <laughs> yes. a half hours away and I got to maintain both. Yes, it's a lot of work and that's. I got to be in both places and the the time to even transit back and forth is tough. Yeah. So, but a typical theme that you would be seeing, right, is that, all right, this is where I spend the majority of my time. This is where I'm going to be local to and I can service, especially if I have to do this myself. Right. Right. Is So you generally cluster your properties. Yes. Generally? Yes, that's right. right. Um, The closer you are to your property, the better off you're going to be. There have been many situations where Casey has had to run back to Portland from whatever location we're in to take care of something. And so when you said at the beginning that it's a second job, it is like we are if something goes wrong with the house, you know, that's on us to take care of. um, And that's part of being a landlord. So Ideally, having the properties close to where you live so that you are close to them if anything happens, if you want to work on them, whatever, the better. And I, I, Casey and I are both in a very unique situation where we both have the ability to work remotely if we don't have meetings, which, again, we're very fortunate, but not probably people, most people don't have that that luxury. Right. So it does give us the ability to be a little bit more flexible in the properties that we buy and the locations of the properties that we buy. But certainly if we're in Island Falls and something goes wrong in Portland, that <laughs> is a pain. So we are hustling back down 95. <laughs> so I want to briefly mention and kind of get to the, the third one. So yeah. you, you, you just recently got into a third property yes. as well, right? Yes. And just, I, I want to move on to the retirement success part yeah. here in a second here. But can you just describe, well, all right, you were at number two and now we're like, well, that's number three. So just quickly describe that. Part. Yeah. So number three is a big old brick building. There's really no other way to describe it, but yeah. um, <laughs> it's old. It's in um, a town called Richmond, which is, you know, about 40 minutes north of Portland. It's on the Kennebec River near the Brunswick Bath. Um, Topsom area in between there and Gardner, Augusta. Um, so it's really old. It's from the 1890s. Um, it's five floors. It's totally gutted at the moment. So it's kind of a blank slate for us. So we're we're figuring out what we want to do with it. So this may be more of a commercial product. In fact, I think it's going to be. Um, so it, it will be fun. And Casey is super creative and loves to do this type of stuff. And so it gives him an outlet to do that and to kind of figure out what, what we're going to do with it. But yeah, this is totally in totally different directions. Right. So we have three totally different types of properties, which probably is also atypical. But right. hey, we're young. So <laughs> so kind of uh, then go forward here. Yeah. So if you if you kind of look at this as the master plan, mm-hmm. right? It, it, and I, I think where where a lot of people start thinking about this in retirement is saying, "Isn't it great? I can work my professional job, what you're doing now, yeah. 
And what Casey's doing now is, you know, he's got a professional job as well. Yeah. And that then at some point I have an ability to replace some, Mm -hmm. maybe all if I'm lucky or uh, to replace some or all of our income using this rental income and that I can then do the work of just maintaining those properties. Or, you know, maybe I maybe I become incapacitated in some way, or I have no interest in doing some of that work, I could farm that out as well Mm -hmm. and still keep a majority of the revenue. So is there, I guess, strategy for you? Like, is there kind of a, is that kind of a thinking of you're just being opportunistic now? And when we get to a certain level of revenue, then we're, we're, we're great. Like, how do you, how do you kind of position that to where you eventually want to be? And and so how far away are you, I guess, is the question. Yeah. So because Casey and I are both in finance, we constantly think about retirement, which good or bad, that's the way it is. So (laughs) we are constantly planning for retirement income, right? And so neither of us have pension plans. And so these houses are kind of, replacing a type of pension plan to your point. So it's income that comes in every month. Casey is very handy now that may change when we're in our 80s. But for right now, we don't need to farm any of the management out. So our goal is to get to a level where we can replace the majority of our incomes in these passive income streams through income. And so with the Richmond property and the Portland property, I think we can probably achieve that goal. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not sure that we have plans for another, well, we don't have plans for another multifamily at the moment. Um, So developing the Richmond property and getting income off of that Mm -hmm. in combination with the Portland one, I think we're going to see where we go with those. And that's, that's kind of our goal right now. Okay. Um, so we're not looking to accumulate, you know, hundreds of these things because they are a lot of work. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and we do have real jobs. And, and, and so... you're doing the work yourself, right? Is, exactly. Which is yeah. very different than, hey, I can do this and I can afford it. And right. I, it, it which, which is why we wanted to have you on the show, you know, from a lot of lenses is Maine's a pretty blue collar state, it right? Is. It is, it's not all these just very rich developers that can afford to just acquire, 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 right. and then hire the contractors and everything's done in 19, 18 months. Right. It's a very, uh, yeah, that's a, that's maybe more atypical. And there's a lot of just stories. And, and Abby, you, know, you and I have met a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, in the last five or six years, too, of they dabble in a lot of this. Yeah, absolutely. They have like five or six apartment buildings. Yeah. And, and that's what and they love it, right? Yeah. Is they, they, they have a skill in carpentry, they have a skill in plumbing, right. they, they can do their own electrical, right? They, and they go, this is something I can touch, I can impact the effect of it yep. or the value of it. I can get appreciation back from the people I'm working with. So it's a it's a different thing in terms of, well, I just deploy my money in an investment that I don't know or see or have no idea about and yeah. hopefully I get it back. This is now something of I can actually see that working. Exactly. And it's more tangible, right? I think sometimes sometimes investments can be sort of you know, up there, mucky, not really clear for a lot of people. And this it's like, okay, that building gives me X number of dollars every month. Mm -hmm. And I know that if I put this much money into it to improve it, it will equal, you know, $100 more each month. So I think that tangible, real money and real sense of accomplishment is why a lot of people want to do it. And Maine is a great place where some locations in Maine, the property values are still low enough and the rents are high enough that you can get yeah. into a multifamily and still have, have money being made on it. So, But but alternatively, we it seems to be there's an idea of, and I know we're just still talking accumulation, and yeah, yeah. not necessarily in the retirement yeah. and what do you do then, but there seems to be a theme. We've had several clients approach us here mm-hmm. recently of they like the idea, yeah, right? But where they want to be, is maybe they do want to be in Portland right now and they love Portland and they're it's right. just very romantic and it's right. great and everything I want to be and it's young and energy and but then they say, but this is the thing. I like Abby, just what you're doing, that's that's very interesting. I love to do that too. And they look around and they just struggle because they look at the property values going up and up and up. Exactly. And they're gonna go acquire, but then they look at what the rents are and it seems like that's just the math just doesn't work, but they want to make it work. Yes. They just, it has to happen. Yes. I guess that's just market cycles yeah, for, for these is. things. But what would be your advice to that sort of person that says, hey, this is the specific pocket or market I want to be in. Yeah. And they're just looking at it and they want to get into this 
idea, but they maybe just can't make the math work. Yeah, that's tricky um, right. because you're right. We have had a lot of people. And I think the idea of multifamilies has become a bit romanticized. And so I want to make clear that it is a lot of work, which is why I always tell people, right? It's not just you have a building and people pay you to live there. Right. I mean, there's upkeep. There's if you, it needs to be redone, stuff like that. And you've mentioned this before, Ben, that real estate can be a bit more market timing related. Um, and so there's just times where it doesn't work. The numbers just don't. Don't work. So either you're going to have to compromise on something if you don't want to wait, right? So maybe you're looking at it from a different lens. So okay, maybe you want to be right in downtown Portland, but a renter might want to be, you know, in the suburbs. So right. if you need to look in the suburbs and maybe make the numbers work out there, or maybe the next up and coming place is Brunswick. And even though you might not want to live in Brunswick, there might be a whole pool of renters that do want to live there. And are willing to pay top dollar for a rent in Brunswick. But property values maybe aren't what they are in Exactly. Or, yeah. Yep. And so so you do have to really think about where you want to compromise. And so if you don't want to do work on a property, well, then that means you're paying, you know, top dollar for the property and maybe the numbers don't work. So maybe you would consider doing something that needs a little bit more work. But again, that's going to be individualized. Yep. But thinking outside of the box a little bit can be really helpful if you feel the need to get into it right now. But there is definitely some timing to it. And I will say that we just got very lucky when Casey bought his back in 20... We just never know, right? You it's never like, know, you, right? That could, that could have been the top. That could have been the bottom. That could have been... So that's the other thing right? is, right, when we say... When people say, this is the highest property bias I've ever been. Well, people were saying that five years ago, right? right? So... And nothing can say when the market's going to go down, really. I right. mean, there will be signs, but... But but the point is, it's more of that the rent to the value exactly. is the deal, not well, what the value is. Exactly. Because it's, you know, it, again, you could be in very rural part, like you could be in East Machias. Right. And here's here's the property values in East Machias, right. but there's uh, University of Machias and there's, right. a, there's a pool of renters that right. need access to really great housing and they're willing to pay up for certain experiences and you can offer it. Yes. And that's that's great. Th- yeah. That that would work. So, but you've got to put all those factors into it to to kind of have that be a, a consideration as you go. Yeah, you absolutely right. do. And we have friends in Aroostook County that um, have a bunch of rental properties and their rents are not that much lower than what we are getting in Portland. Mm. And their property values, what they're paying for the houses is a third of what we're paying. So, so it's a better, right? Uh, it's a better deal. Yeah. But if you're living in Portland, you're probably not going to buy in Presque Isle. Right. So a, a little bit of it is kind of, you know, location at this point. Right. And, and and of course, rents can be transitory, right? Exactly. Yeah. The values are going to be transitory. Rent, rents are going to be transitory. So right. it, it goes to your thinking about how much you think that will persist in either side. Yeah. So I would just kind of move on to the next part then yeah. is, all right, retirement success. So you say, so you have, again, we have a lot of people and clients that maybe they've already gone through all that acquisition, mm-hmm. just what, what your story is. Then they get to retirement and maybe they're not acquiring, but they need to think about maybe cleaning up some of their assets over time and, and they may have liquidity needs, right? They may have, hey, I, you know, my spouse is um, got incapacitated and she's need or he or she needs to go to an assisted living facility right. and I don't have liquid assets. So then I have to sell something in order to pay for that sort of healthcare need. So that's might be where they start decumulating yep. properties. So how would you describe that process to be like, right? And and maybe we're talking about what is the selling process like? Because again, yeah. you've gone through some of the buying process, yeah. but the selling part is maybe tricky too. And, but it's probably different because now you have rents. Right. So it's it's now a business that you're selling, right. not necessarily a property that you're buying, right? right? which is a different completely different permutation. It is. And to go back to the market timing thing, right? So if your real estate really should be a long term investment. So looking to hold unless you're trying to flip properties, but a lot of these rental properties, people will hold for years and years and years, right? Mm -hmm. So trying to find the best time to get out can be a little difficult, right? Because if you're trying to sell at the bottom of the market, you may not get the value that you are that you want to get out of the property. So I think making sure that you have a solid plan, financial plan going into retirement so that you know, okay, worst case scenario, if this property takes two years to sell, I have this much liquid net worth saved up in my bank account, right? right. So 
that's the the tricky thing with real estate is it's not liquid. And right. so there may be times where it doesn't sell and you need it to sell. So But have, but you're but you're also selling the property not just based on the property value. Right. But also that if, if it is an attractive property that people are renting yeah, or you have Airbnbs and you have a business established mm-hmm. that you're selling the business of the property, Absolutely. right? So, so it's all the income stream that maybe somebody that's coming in wanting to buy it. Exactly. He's paying the value of the property plus the net present value of the income stream, right? Exactly. Essentially the idea. Exactly. And so, so finding the right landlord, potential landlord who wants to buy that is going to be important because if you have a good rental history in that building, that's certainly worth something, right? And if you've kept the building up, that's also worth something. Um, So kind of figuring out what you as the owner want to get out of it before you put it on the market is also good, right? So you have an understanding of, okay, these are the rents that I'm getting. This is, you know, the net present value of them. This is what I want from the actual liquid portion of the the property itself. And there's a lot of considerations certainly that go into it. But I would say having cash outside of the property in case you need it in the meantime is going to be important. Yeah. So I guess we're kind of want to continue to to kind of get into and maybe as a wrap up here. Yeah. All right. So retirement success, you know, again, a lot of people using this income strategy, then at some point they're going to decumulate. What also themes, again, from the lens of somebody that's retired mm-hmm. and they're saying, hey, I have these properties and maybe for the majority of my life, I was handy. Yeah. I was able to do all these things. Yeah. I was able to take care of it. How have you seen maybe landlords get into this idea of say management companies mm-hmm. or because I'm thinking about I need that income to live on, right. but I'm 78 right. or I'm 80, whatever that time frame, and I'm just maybe I don't have the energy or I'm not physically able to do things anymore. And I need to turn to a solution because I don't want to just sell the, this. Yes, I can get liquid assets, but I lose the income of it too. Right. So maybe in the near term step within retirement of hiring a management company, how have you seen people do that? Yeah. And what are the what are some steps to find what you would deem maybe a good management company? Yeah. So my grandparents in Florida, when they were in their late 70s, actually purchased three rental units. Okay. And he said, I don't, my grandfather was like, I don't want to do any work on them because they split time between Florida and Maine. And so he was like, I am definitely going to have a management property, management company, you know, help me with the, the upkeep. And so he did his homework and figured out that even with the cost of the management company, he's still getting, you know, a significant amount of income off of these properties. So much so, so he was in charge of all of them. He passed away a couple of years ago and my grandmother even kept two of the properties because it still makes more sense for her to hold the properties while paying the management company to take care of them. The income from that is still more valuable for her than selling the properties. Um, so, and she could passively continue to keep exactly. her ears open in case somebody approached her and said, right. hey, I do want to, I am interested in your property. Right. Um, would you be interested to sell it? So exactly. you, you can always keep your ears open to it. Right. And that's a good thing, right? You're never necessarily stuck in a property. So if somebody approaches you and the price is right, you can get out of it kind of whenever you see fit. But right. I think doing your homework, finding good management companies and making sure that that they're working for you, right? Because there's now quite a few management companies in Portland that are pretty big and manage a lot of properties. They may not, though, manage it to the standards that you had, right? Mm -hmm. So you probably took better care of it than anybody else because it's your property. So I think before you get into a position where you definitely need somebody to be doing that work for you, maybe interviewing some of these companies, going to see some of the properties that they manage, um, and talking to other landlords who have them manage their property, I think is super valuable because nobody's going to do it exactly like you, but you want to do it. You want to have a company replicate that as best possible. But it is certainly possible to still make money from the income while paying a management company um, if you wanted to. Which it just feels like that's a natural progression. And 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 we talked to to a lot of our clients about that is, hey, if this is working for you and that you Again, you have a passion, you have a purpose in retirement, and this right. is something I love to do. And right. it just gives me something to to take care of and think about and stay active with. And, you know, there's a lot of physical elements to keeping up with, right? It's, 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 a it's akin to working out in a lot of ways, right? It's, it it's, it's There's a lot of great benefits from having this be that, right? Is yeah. that it, it essentially becomes that part-time job, mm-hmm. gives me purpose, gives me something to think about, having great relationships with my tenants. Yep. I have that social element that we've talked about with a lot of our podcast mm-hmm. uh, guests so far is that that's a big need. It is. Yeah. So that 
maybe at some point I'm not able to do it in a management company, then uh, again, it, thinking about then that maybe last trimester of retirement of, hey, I'm not able to do this anymore, right. that also that somebody else can step in as well if if I needed this to to have it taken care of for my legacy and, and, right. and that, right? So kind of a nice arc, is uh, yeah. which is why we want to explore that with you today is kind yeah. of this kind of going through accumulation all the way down to uh, to kind of the overall selling eventually of the property potentially to uh, to other people. Yeah. So in, maybe one last question for you yeah. is, is kind of in terms of you – and Wes brought this up on our first episode, is retirement success in Maine and retirement success for you. You know, he's kind of said, you know, we have the benefit in our seat as financial advisors and financial planners is we get to sit back and kind of see how people are doing it mm-hmm. well ahead of us going it's through true. it ourselves. Yeah. And say, I like that. All right. I don't like that. And yeah. just what Casey was uh, learned exactly. from his clients. Yep. What have you learned maybe about yourself through that? And maybe as the scope of what you're building today for the for the rental properties, what is retirement success for you in, in Maine? So retirement success for me is moving to Island Falls okay. and living there and being able to ATV and snowmobile and hike and cross-country ski, you know, at our leisure. Okay. And so... I love being outside. I love being active. And so that to me, having the income right from these other properties to be able to do that is is really kind of the goal. And so, you know, doing projects that we like along the way when we're older, that's great. But really, that is kind of the dream is to be able to to live in Island Falls. Which is Maine, right? It's yeah. just like, why are you in Maine? Well, well, Maine is a very outdoorsy state. Yeah. Right? You get everything. You get, exactly. You get the ocean, you get the mountains, yeah. you get, you know, up north with the yeah. farming, you get kind of all the, the industries and stuff. So it's, which is kind of what's pretty fun for me to see is, you can kind of say, hey, Abby is a, you know, she's a Mainer, yeah. but also she loves being in Maine, right? Yeah. You, you had to explore outside of it to right. see that this is who I am and what I love to be and who I want to be. Right. So I need to be more of who I am and not who everybody thinks I'm supposed to be. And yeah. my friends thought I was supposed to be out in New York City and Boston right. doing that stuff. Right. But who I really am is. Right. Right. A Mainer. Yeah. So that's, that's great. Right? Yeah. So I, I really applaud you for, for kind of go through that. Yeah. So I want to thank you for being on the podcast yes. today. Abby, appreciate you doing this. Um, what love to have you uh, kind of help for co-hosting as well, yeah. either between uh, Curtis and myself to yeah. kind of step in, but uh, kind of a nice little project we got going on. So appreciate you jumping on and yeah. talking about real estate for the audience today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. So it's really great to to hear from Abby today, right? Of course, we we work with Abby on a on a minute by minute daily basis here um, uh, as part of our team at Guidance Point Advisors, uh, especially with our clients in the state of Maine. But uh, one things that we were really excited to bring her on the show to to get into this theme of real estate, mm-hmm. and I, I think from a retiree perspective, all of us kind of uh, accumulate lots of different things over our lives, whether there's emotions and memories and <laughs> physical assets and yeah. you know financial assets and things. And sometimes it's just getting to this organization's purpose around why and what and how. And so we tangentially see Abby and we, you know, you get to right. know somebody as you're working with them. So it's, it's been a nice theme is, is kind of see her uh, going down this road. And, um, you know, Curtis, you and I talk about, well, that would definitely not be me. I'm, <laughs> you're not going to find me swinging that hammer and, oh, yeah. and trying to fix stuff. But for them, uh, for Abby and her husband, Casey, that really works. Yeah. Um, so and I, I know for a lot of our clients that's that's in their blood too right is they're they're handy and they they like using their hands and they they want to see this tangible property and asset but for kind of this idea of we wanted we wanted the audience today to get out of this again getting into real estate like why that might be something and you might be thinking about that today of I'm pre-retirement or I'm in retirement and why would I consider it mm-hmm. and what sort of things would I consider in, in accumulating properties and then the flip of that right is what sort of things do I need to be thinking about when I exit my property, right? right? And and because it is a business, it's not necessarily just a house or just a piece of land. So it, there, there's something different to that um, as, a, as a thought process. Mm. So those are the things that we really wanted to get out today. And I, I think Abby did a really great job kind of walking us through that. Curtis, what was your takeaway from today? You know, it was really cool to hear kind of Abby's story from a, a 
global perspective. And then one thing that I kind of honed in on that I had never really thought about, she was talking about her her living unit in Portland and the fact that her and Casey, you know, live there with two other tenants, essentially two other groups of people living in these. She has two other units other than theirs sure. um, in that house. And the aspect of, you know, not only the the on paper fit, if you will, of, you know, can they pay the, the rent? Are they going to take care of the place? Um, but the aspect of, you know, Abby sees and interacts with those those tenants on a daily basis. And she talked about really trying to get a fit with her and Casey trying to find a good fit of people to essentially live with them. You know, it's right. separate units, but, but same building. So I, I thought that was really interesting. That was something that I had never even, you know, taken into consideration. And you could, you could see that from, again, from the retiree perspective or yeah. you know, someone that's older and going, well, Hey, if I'm, I'm moving somebody in and they're not a fit to my lifestyle. And, you know, if I'm used to going to bed at midnight <laughs> and these people are going to bed at eight at 8 PM, right. Right. Or they're, you know, they work in a different industry and we're, we have different cycles in terms of how we sleep and and use the property. That's going to be impactful to mm. to all of the people. And and if if one party's feeling it, you know the other party's going to feel that too. Right. So right. yeah, that was a I thought that was a really great, very thoughtful point that I never even considered yeah. as a as a piece of uh, of that uh, transaction. Yeah, and you know, and then she she talked about how as her and Casey, you know, age and how she can see the their tenants aging with them. You know, it's sure. right now their their tenants are closer to their age probably and certainly closer to their sort of lifestyle. And I thought that was really cool to think about how that could change. And that will also probably change too is as people are, you know, if if the owner is looking to get a certain culture out of it, there might be different levels of affordability too of people mm. that uh, are in a certain level of property and yeah. what it looks like and what their affordability is to how they use it and all that. So yeah, kind of a neat little uh, kind of a packaged conversation about uh, about that. And I, I think that was that's a pretty important point to be making and having that discussion about uh, with Abby today. Yeah. So appreciate everybody uh, tuning in. Of course, you can find us uh, on our blog. Uh, this will be episode six. Uh, so if you go to blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash six, uh, so you can find uh, this this episode with all the resources and things that we talked about today. If you have any uh, questions, I'd lo- love for you guys to reach out. But uh, until next time, we'll, uh, we'll keep on finding your retirement success. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisors' mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.